Hallelujah. How many are with it this morning already? Just feel like God's going to do something in here. Amen. Ezekiel 47, and then we're going to jump over to what I call my theme verse, but I want to read this to you this morning and put it in your hearing, get it into your spirit today. Ezekiel 47, verse number one, it says, and then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, the water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the, for the house had faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and he led me around on the outside to the outer gate by the way of the gate that faces east. And behold, the water was trickling from the south side. And when a man went over towards the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through water, water reaching the ankles. And again he measured a thousand and he led me through the water, water reaching the knees. And again he measured a thousand and he led me through the water, water reaching the loins or the waist. And again, verse number five, he measured another thousand and it was a river that I could not ford or could not cross. For the water had risen enough, enough water to swim in. A river that could not be forded. How many believe that God just wants to release a mighty river in this place and in your life? Verse number six, and he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. And now when I have returned, behold, the bank of the river, the river, the, 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 of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region and they go down to the Areba. Then they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. It's the same word for healed. And it came about that every living creature that swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there, and others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Hallelujah. And it came about that the fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to England, where there will be a place for the spreading of nets, and their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh, for they'll be left for salt. And by the river on its banks, verse number 12 right here, by the river on its banks, on one side and on the other side, will grow all kinds of trees for food. And the leaves will not wither, and the fruit will not fail, and they will bear every month because of the water that flows from the sanctuary. And the fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Notice that there was a river in Ezekiel's vision. There was a river that was flowing from the sanctuary. And we could put it in modern day vernacular. There was a river flowing out of the house of God. And wherever that river flowed, life began to appear. I believe God wants to breathe life back into his people. I believe he wants to release a river over people's lives. And everywhere that river went, there was healing. In fact, it gets really in a stronger context there. There was actually healing for the nations. I believe there's a river of God that can heal our nation. That's weak. I want to say that again. I believe there's a river that can come from God that can heal our nation. Amen. Now look with me. Let me just go to our theme verse in Psalms real quick. 
just our, our theme verse that we I just used a couple weeks ago to kind of kick everything off. I just want to turn there. It's probably on the screen already. But Psalms 85. Psalms 85 and verse number 6, it says, Will you not yourself, talking about God, will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Notice the language. Lord, will you not revive us again? I read that several weeks ago, and it went off in my spirit, and that began me on this journey, what I believe that God is saying to this house. And I've titled the theme of this message, these messages, Revive Us Again. How many believe that God can touch our hearts again? Come on, if you believe that, push on about three people and tell them the Lord ain't finished with you yet. Come on, just tell them the Lord is not finished with you yet. Revive us again. Lord, we need revive again. The church needs to be revived again. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. Father, this morning, we thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for what you're already doing in this place. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you've already manifested yourself among your people today. Lord, I just pray now over the next few minutes as we come together over the word of God. Lord, I thank you. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher. You're the teacher. You're the revealer. You're the communicator of all truth. Thank you today for what you're going to do in the hearts of men and women. Lord, I pray that you would use me. Wear me like a coat. Let me speak as it were the oracles of God. Lord, let life appear. Let life begin to manifest in people's hearts today. And Jesus, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor and the praise for it now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Amen. In our text today, as we shared a little bit last week, Ezekiel begins to get this vision of water flowing from the east of the temple, from the threshold of the temple or the sanctuary or the church there, and that river began to flow out of it. And what, what began as a trickle eventually began to increase dramatically to a greater depth about every third of a mile, that river kept getting deeper and deeper. It started out ankle deep. By the time Ezekiel gets to the end of his vision, it's waters to swim in. This river, in his vision, continued to flow, and it flowed all the way down to the Dead Sea, which miraculously, everything in the Dead Sea, in his vision, began to live again. We know in Scripture that water is often tied to the life and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the river in this vision is ultimately the future evidence of the Spirit of God that has returned to his sanctuary. He said, I saw a river coming out of the sanctuary of God. I saw a river flowing out of the temple of God. This comes to us as a picture that God is back in his place. His presence is flowing from his place, and it's bringing life wherever that river goes. It's a picture of how the, how the church should be living in the 21st century. It's a picture of how the church should be flowing and how we should be getting deeper in God, not shallower. Going to wait on your amen right there. Ezekiel said that the more that that river flowed, the further that it went, the deeper that it got. That should be a picture 
of the church that when the life-giving presence of the living God is flowing in our life, it gets deeper the longer it goes. How many know that the longer you walk with God, the deeper you ought to get in God? And so the things of God begin to get deeper in our hearts and in our lives, and it begins to grow out of our life, and, be, and the Holy Spirit then begins to manifest his presence throughout the body of Christ. That's the picture of a modern-day Ezekiel vision. And part of that was because that, that Ezekiel is catching something in the realm of the Spirit because the book of Ezekiel comes to us about a nation that was in a decline. It comes to us as a nation that was in a decline religiously, it was in a decline governmentally, and it was a de in a decline with its families. And part of that is because none of the designated spheres of authority of God's kingdom or in God's kingdom, which is the church, was following God's statutes and God's commands. Anytime a nation turns its back on God, something begins to drastically happen to the people in that nation. When, 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 when we as individuals, and I'm using a nation because that's Ezekiel's word, but in our life, how many know that in your personal life, when we begin to turn our back on the statutes and the commandments of God, then the river of God begins to dry up. And so in Ezekiel's day, he comes to us and he's preaching to a nation. He's prophesying to a nation and he's saying that the reason why there's no more water, there's no more anointing, there's no river, there's no life of God's presence flowing out of the sanctuary is because the people in the land have turned their back on God. So God comes to Ezekiel. Hallelujah. I love this part. God comes to Ezekiel because God always starts with his people first. God's always going to start in his house first. God's not going to start in the courthouse. He's not going to start in the White House, but he will start in your house. God's always going to begin to speak to his people first. And he always starts with the chaos in the land. He don't start in the White House. He don't start in the government. He don't start in legislations and policies. He starts in the hearts of the people that's in his house. The chaos in the land is a reflection of the chaos that's in the house. Come on, push on somebody and tell me he's going to preach to you in a minute now. The reason why there's the, the, the controversial chaos, if we could just use different words to describe what's going on, is because there's so much going on in the church that ain't right. So Ezekiel's message comes to a remnant of people that are in Judah who is demoralized. They're living in exile and they're living in a Babylonian culture. The temple, the church, the house had been burned, and Israel's monarch was over. The city of David and the Lord's temple was now no more. It's lying in ruins. So the theme of his message, just track with me for a moment, just a little bit of history here, and then I'm going to get to where I'm going. The theme of his message is for each individual to take on the moral responsibility for the national calamity that's in the land. In other words, each individual is responsible for their own sin. Everybody is responsible for their life, your life. Huh? So the weight of the collective sin 
of each individual had contributed to the breaking of God's covenant with Israel, which resulted in an entire nation going into captivity, an entire nation going into Babylon, into exile. Here's the point. Until we as the people of God get the agenda of the kingdom's priorities in order, then the order of the culture will never materialize. Until there's order in God's house, there's not going to be order in the courthouse. Until there's order in God's house, there's not going to be order in the White House. So what God is saying to Ezekiel, he's saying, I want you to take an examination of you and the people. And I want you to begin to take inventory of what's going on in your nation. Your nation is the result of what's going on in my house. And if my house can get it right, the nation will line up. If my house can get in order, I can get the nation in order. Talk to me up in here, somebody. So, 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 so the weight of this is, is on them. And so, so the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 17, this will be on the screen. We know this, that, that, that the time has come for judgment, and it begins in your house. It begins in the house of God. It begins with God's people first. Everybody's praying about everything that's going on around them. I want to tell you something. God's saying what's going on in your heart. What's going on in your house? We always want to look at what's going on everywhere around us, but I'm trying to tell you the church in America is limping. The church in America is in a struggle. But when the church begins to get it right, when the church begins to line up with God's priorities, when the church begins to obey God, when the church begins to walk according to a different drumbeat, when the church no longer looks like the world that they've been called out from, set apart from, when the church begins to line up according to the will of God, then the church can walk over into enemy hell territory and release the power of God. It can release the blessings of God. It can release the favor of God. But there's got to be in church in line with the things of God. So God's not worried about the White House, but he is concerned about his house. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. So the reason now, I'm just going to get to my point in a minute. I'm going to preach in a minute. The reason why our culture is drying up is because there's no spiritual water. Talk to me in here now. There's no presence flowing from the sanctuary into the world. The reason why the culture is dry, could it be, just a thought, but could it be the culture is dry because the church is dry? Huh? Until the church can get the water, the presence, the moving of the Holy Spirit flowing down its aisles, we can't get it to flow down the streets. If God's presence is no longer evident, among his people, then how can we believe that he's going to show up in our neighborhoods? How can we believe he's going to show up in our city, in our nation? So it has to be present among us. That's what uh, Pastor Vanessa was sharing a while ago, that, that your silence becomes a victory for the enemy. 
So when we come in here, I've made up my mind years ago. I don't need all this on the platform to help me worship God. I thank God for it, and I thank God for all the gifts and the talents that are up there that can help lead us in there. But I don't care if we come in here with a banjo and a tambourine. I can find God in the midst of anything because I didn't come here looking for God. I brought God up into the midst of the assembly with me. And when you have people that understand, I'm not walking around looking for a praise. I am a praise in the earth. And when I come together with God's people, I can begin to lift my voice in triumph. I can lift my voice with an anointing on my lips. And I can begin to declare to principalities and powers, darkness and demons and devils. And we can begin to take authority over the issues of what's even going on in this house. If you can't get it right in this house, you won't have no power out there in the White House. But if the church house will get it right we can move the white house push on somebody and tell them we revive us we need to be revived again we need to be revived i want to preach in a minute y'all just hang out with me hallelujah hallelujah so that's why the church needs to be revived Woo, i tell you what when you really get on fire for god I mean, when you are really set apart and you're, there, there, there's an internal flame that's burning and burning and burning, you, you don't have to be talked into coming to church. <laughs> you don't have to be talked into serving God. Huh? I mean, when there really is a fire that's been lit on the inside of you and you've been kindling that fire all week, you've been stoking that fire all week, you've been fanning that flame all week, by the time you get to church on Sunday, it ain't nothing but a big old party. It ain't nothing but a big old celebration because by the time we get here, we have done cast out devils. We have done laid hands on the sick. We have done become what the New Testament church should have been out there. And we come in here and we come to give a report. Look what the Lord has done ain't he good hasn't God been good to us that's how it should be that's how it should be I'm gonna find somebody to preach to a minute that's how it should be we shouldn't be coming up here limping like we lost our best friend like my best dog died the other day and I ain't got no praise left you ought to come up in here and say I can't wait to gather together with God's people because when we begin to release a sound in the atmosphere hell begins to shake of the authority and the anointing that's coming out of a corporate collective people push on somebody and say God revive us again revive us again so I don't know if you know this or not. I'm just going to run it by you real quick. The answer to our culture is not in more legislation. It's not in more equality. You're getting quiet on me now. It's not even in more reform. In any of those things, they're all good within themselves, and I thank God for it. We need, we need good legislation. We need right reform. We, all those things are good, and, and thank God for it. They all have their place. They all have their place in society. But if you study historically histories of movements of God and revivals that took place in the things of God, it didn't start under a government that was for God. It started under a government that was against God. Because the government never dictates the move of God. What dictates the move of God is the house of God. So historically, if you study all the revivals that have ever happened around the world, and even here in America, beginning with Azusa in 1906, when you begin to study the movements of God, there was not always good legislation and good good things that were happening at the White House, but the church understood that if we're going to change anything in our land, we better get some change in our hearts. 
So the depravity of our culture, watch this now, I don't want to lose you, don't want to upset you today, but the, 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 the depravity of our culture is the result of sin. <laughs> and only Jesus can cleanse it. Only Jesus can cleanse sin. I don't care how many laws you legislate. You cannot cleanse sin with legislation. No matter how much you are in favor of God. Because it takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse sin. John the Baptist in John chapter 1 was baptizing a bunch of people and he looked over the hillside and here comes Jesus walking down the hillside and John the Baptist stops what he's doing and he looks up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because there's only one Redeemer. There's only one person that can save. There's only one person that can deliver. There's only one person that can set you free and that is Jesus Christ. So, when the church understands that the problem in our world, because I'm telling you, we're fighting on the wrong front. And it's not that we don't need to be involved because when the church is involved, things get moved for the better. So it ain't like we're just going to hold the fort and wait until he comes back and rescues us. And then we got too many Christians that are just holding out, hoping that he'll come and come and save us, come and rescue us, come and deliver us. Can I tell you, that is not the New Testament teaching. Jesus is not coming back for a struggling, anemic, weak-kneed church. The Bible says he's coming back for a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a bride that's operating in glory, that's operating in power, that's operating in its place and its authority, a position in the earth. It has taken up residence in the kingdoms of darkness of this world and is moving the river of God in the midst of all the enemy hostage-held territory. And we are saying there's a new sheriff in town. Give up or be conquered, but we're coming after it. We're coming after our families, we're coming after our governments, we're coming after our businesses, we're coming after the arts and entertainment, we are coming for the glory of God. Push on somebody and say, Lord, revive us now, revive us. So if Jesus is the only one that can, that can heal us or cleanse us from sin, then the church is the only one that can manifest Jesus. Right? I mean, he's married to us. We're the bride of Christ. Am I right about it? We're the bride of Christ. That's why it's always bothered me that people don't want to come to church except when they got a day off, when they feel like it. How, how, how can you say you're in love with the groom? How can you say you're in love with the king but you don't love his wife? I got a hard time in the natural. If people, if people don't like my wife, they're going to have a hard time with me. Amen. So, 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 so when it comes down to the things of God, it's the church. In fact, Ephesians 3.10 says that, that, that the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God flows through the church. And it flows through the church to watch this, powers, principalities, and powers. So, so the power of God doesn't come. Watch me now. You got to track with me on this. Don't let me lose you here. The power of God doesn't come from a courthouse. The power of God doesn't come from a White House. 
And again, I'm not knocking anything that's right about it. We, we, we need what's right in it. But everything that's not right, we fight against. Am I right about it? I, I'm not knocking those things. But I'm saying at the end of the day, the manifold wisdom of God flows through his bride. It flows through the church. It don't come through legislation. It comes through the church. And when the church is out of chaos, then we can put the land back into order. And God is looking for a church to come alive. God is looking for his people to be revived in the earth. That's why I've been preaching this stuff for, for 25 years right here out of this platform. I don't believe the Glades region belongs to the devil. It never has and it never will. I don't believe families belong to to the devil. I don't believe people can come in the Glades region and push us and knock us out of business and jobs and opportunities. I believe as long as we got breath, as long as we got a Bible, as long as God is still on the throne, we got a pushback inside of us and we can speak the principalities, we can speak the powers, and we can say, not on my watch, baby. Tell somebody, revive us again. Revive us. Revive us. I'm going to preach in a minute. Just hang out with me. I'm about to get there. Revive us. Revive us. Boy, the church needs to be revived again. I'm not going to pick on nobody today, but I did look around during worship, and some of y'all was just holding on to the seat. Y'all were daydreaming. Y'all were checking everything else out but God. Amen. And I'm just trying to tell you, what good are you to the kingdom of God if you won't participate in what he calls worship? Huh? What good are you to the, but, but yet we'll be the same ones that's going to fuss and feud over everything that ain't right. Can I just try to tell you, God is speaking to Ezekiel and he's saying, Ezekiel, the problem is not in the culture. The problem is in my house. And when my house deals with what's going on in its house, then I'll fix the culture. I'll redeem the land. I'll put you back on top. I'll make you the head. I'll make you above and not beneath. But it begins in the house. Amen. Manifold wisdom of God comes through the church. So part of our issue now, and this is where we got bogged down last week. I'm not going to go there this week. But part of our issue is that the church continues to compromise the fundamentals of our faith. The church at large, mainline denominations, mainline denominations that are endorsing homosexual priests, gay pastors, and calling it acceptable. It's not that God don't love people. It's just that that is called sin in the book. And, and, and God is not going to bless that. And when you have a church in compromise, and let me just say it this way since I ain't going to preach on all these things. But when you have a church that don't preach against racism, you're as much as fault as anybody I know. Huh? I'm telling you, there's, there, there, there's no place for racism in the body of Christ. We are one nation under God. We are one race under God. That's why I've been telling everybody. I've been, tell, I've been telling pastors all over the United States and Canada. I said, listen, if you want to know how to get together, come to New Harvest. We'll show you how the black and the white, Hispanics, the Latino thing got it going on. We'll tell you how the, how, the, how the Mexicans can work with the Puerto Ricans and how the Cubans can work with the black folk. And the black folk can work with the Asian folk. And the Asian folk can work with the white folk. Because we're not walking up in here discriminating on anybody. We come in here because we recognize we've been born of another blood. We've been bought by another price. And the world can't have us and the world don't know how to deal with us it's the way it ought to be that's the way it is but you got all this stuff that's going on and we now we got evangelicals that are questioning 
the very firm absolutes and the standards of biblical morality. How do you question God's word like you're going to change it and bend it according to the whims of the culture? Do you know that this is not the worst culture that has ever existed? If you don't believe me, back it up to World War II when Hitler was killing all the Jews. Huh? Somebody, somebody said, well, I just we're living in the darkest days. I want to tell you, World War II was pretty dark. When Hitler was killing Jews by the thousands and by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands. The whole world was at war. Racism was widespread. Hatred and bigotry was everywhere. With the wor- this ain't the worst culture. This is just the first generation that you have lived in where you got to put your feet to the fire and you got to believe God for your generation. This is our generation. So we got all these churches that ha- ha- has embraced. And I don't care how popular it is. Come on, Hollywood. I don't care how popular it is, come on social media. I don't care how popular it is for your best actor and singer. I don't care how popular it is when sin is in the culture and the church begins to compromise to get a few more likes on social media. When the church begins to compromise to put a few more, I started to say it one way, but I'll say it another way, but put a few more butts in the seats. It's it's, it's like, it's like, the preachers begin to compromise to the drumbeat of society where we want to make everybody happy. Can I just tell you something? Jesus did not die for you to be happy, but he did die for you to be holy. He did die for you to be distinct, for you to be set apart, a cut above, different than anybody else. Let me show you a couple of scriptures here. Uh, before I get there, let me, let me say, I was, I was doing some more research late last night when the problem is this, when, when you have over 70%, and you can Google it for yourself, 70% of a nation that claims to be Christian, but no longer adheres to scripture, and then we begin to eliminate doctrine, you have not only a culture in crisis, but you have a church in crisis. Look with me. Let me. I better not get too far. Let me go for First Timothy. Let me just show it to you real quick. Y'all doing all right? If you're new here, this is usually about how I do it anyway. So praise the Lord. I work it hard. First Timothy, chapter four, verse number one. Now the Spirit says it real fast. That in latter times. In latter times, some going to fall away from the faith. What's the latter times? It's your time. Right now, you're living in the latter days. You're living in the latter times. The latter times is speaking from the time Jesus first appeared until his second appearance. That's latter times. You are living in latter days. And the Spirit says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Watch this. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons and by means of hypocrisies of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. A couple things I want to point out here. He said they're going to depart. One translation says fall from the faith. In other words, they will deny the essential 
doctrines of Christianity. That's what that means. When they begin to fall away from the faith, they are denying the essential doctrines of Christianity. Just because it's popular in society don't mean you change it in the book. Just because we have to have a Supreme Court to legalize marriages, homosexual marriages, just because the Supreme Court legalized it, don't make it right. I feel you now. I feel you. Y'all getting real quiet up in here now. Don't worry. I'm coming down your road in just a minute. Just because it's been legalized or just because it's been championed or just because it's been authorized don't mean it's right. If God's against it, then the church ought to be against it. Come on, I'm going to wait on you. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about what they do. I can prove that to you in a minute. Maybe I will if I got time for us. God loves everybody. You ain't no different than somebody else caught up in sin. Because I guarantee you, if we checked in your back door, if we opened up your closet full of skeletons, <laughs> we might find out that you don't really glow in the dark. He said, he said they, they come with a seared conscience. In other words, their spirit, watch me now, their spirit has been so tarnished and perverted that they're no longer led by the spirit, but they're led by earthly desires. They're led by the flesh. Instead of being led by the Holy Spirit, the river of God, now they're led by the enticement of their own lust. That's what the Bible says. They're drawn away by the enticement of their own lust. And once they become seared in their conscience, which means they become desensitized, rendered ineffective. That's what that means. It's literally a person with a seared conscience cannot tell the difference between what's good and what's evil. Once your conscience has been seared, now let me help maybe a younger generation out. Because you grew up, you're growing up, the, the, the millennials, the generation uh, uh, Z guys, you, you, you're growing up in a compromised generation with the faith of God. And because your generation accepts everything, all truth becomes relative. Like if I just walked out there and say, I believe the sky is purple. Well, you can argue with me all you want, but if I believe it's true, then it's true to me. So once you grow up in a generation that don't want to confront nothing, that don't want to stand for nothing, then all of a sudden the values that you know to be true begins to vacillate. And once you begin to vacillate in what truth is, once you begin to compromise with truth, now truth in your world no longer exists. And when truth no longer exists, your conscience is being seared. And you don't know now because you don't even have the ability to discern between what's good and what's bad. Because now everything is good as long as nobody's getting hurt. He said when you pay attention to deceitful spirits. Just let you know, Paul writing to Timothy, 
He's writing to Timothy about the affairs of the church. I'm not talking about the world. He said, this stuff is going on in the church. He said, when you start paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, then your conscience has been seared, and now you are in a crisis. Because what has happened now, if we're not careful, we have handed down a culture of Christianity light. <laughs> Tastes great, but less filling. I remember that old commercial. Three of y'all. Some of y'all older than that, you just ain't going to admit it. Which has produced, watch this now, churches that are designed around being cool. <laughs> messages, messages that are designed around life skills, self-help, positive attitudes, and how to be happy. And how fast can we get you in and how fast can we get you out? And we got preachers bragging on how fast they can get people in and how fast we can get them out. By all along the way, the river of God is so dry. It's doubly dead and plucked up by the roots. And we wonder why the culture is in chaos because we can't even get a move of God going on in our churches. But I came to announce to New Harvest Church right here on the southwest corner of Lake Okeechobee that there is not only a flow into the Lake Okeechobee, but there's a flow into the life power of God's people that is about to set the course for a revival across the land. Amen. So we got Christianity light. Churches have endorsed worldly views and perpetuated a climate of mixture that has promoted to others that while they're coming out of their closet, we stay in hid in ours. Amen. Preach on, preacher. Christianity light has given us a God with no standards. It's given us a walk without a sacrifice. It's given us forgiveness without repentance. That's what Christianity light has done. The problem in our nation is not that we don't have people that don't love God. We just have people that don't love God enough to serve him. Because that was going on in Ezekiel's day. They loved God. They just didn't have enough of God in them to hold to his commandments and hold to his statutes. So now, now in our day, nobody knows what a Christian should look like. And if you stand up here like I am, a five foot eleven somebody trying to say something about what the truth of God's word is, you get all these eyeballs looking at you like you lost your mind. And I could understand that from the world's point of view because I preached in crowds where, where they, I preached in Muslims' crowds. I preached in crowds all over the world. I understand. I get strange looks like that. But it's another thing when you get a strange look like that from somebody who's been brought up in the house. Your conscience has been seared. Let me just show you a couple things real quick. So when you talk about doctrine, what is the purpose of doctrine? Look with me in Titus. Timothy Titus. Let me just show you. Is this all right? Can I break it down with a word just so you don't think I'm making it up, right? Titus chapter 1, verse number 9 says, Holding fast the faithful word which in accordance with the teaching, so that you will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. 
For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. In other words, people who should be telling the truth ain't telling the truth. He says, but you got to hold to the doctrine. <laughs> you got to hold to the doctrine of God's word. Well, my friends don't think that way. That's why you need to hold to it. Because you are their messenger of hope. You are their lifeline in the midst of darkness. They have to have somebody to point to. Look with me in 2 Timothy. Let's just go back to Timothy real quick. Is this all right? I'm going to preach in a minute. I'm about to get there. Praise the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Y'all amen me really good while ago, but it's dwindling. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I don't want to go there. Go with me to 2 John. We done been to Timothy, haven't we? <laughs> don't worry, I know what I'm talking about. Are y'all in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy? Now we're in John. <laughs> okay, let me fix it. I, I know exactly what I'm not doing. I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Okay? <laughs> Forgive me. My notes are not right. Or maybe they are and I'm not right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You see that? There's going to come a time in the church house when people will not endure sound doctrine, only wanting to have their ears tickled. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. Are you tracking with me? And they will turn aside to myths. In other words, the church will come to a place where it will find somebody in the church, the body, that will tickle their ears, let them hear let them say what they want to hear. And they will turn away from the truth and embrace a myth, which is the same thing as a lie. So when you start turning your gaze away from the truth of God's word, this, is, this was Ezekiel's message to the nation. God wants to bless you. God wants to free you. God wants to liberate you. God wants to redeem you back to your land, but you cannot come back to your land until the chaos in the church house gets right. And when the chaos in the church house gets right, then I'm going to put you back into the land, and then you take over in the land. That's why the church has to be revived again. Am I right about it? All right, let me just show you one more thing here, and then, then we'll wrap it up here. Because in order for our cities to experience power, there has to be a river. There has to be a presence that's flowing from God's house. That's why we gather together on Sunday mornings, because it becomes a witness to the city that they're leaving their house and they're going to God's house. You say, well, I can have church in my home. That's true, but you can't be an effective believer isolated. 
And you can't even exercise your gift at the ultimate level when you just have in church by yourself. Because that ain't what, and that's why the Bible talks about don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially all the more when you see the day approaching. There comes times and moments where you understand that the priority of God's house is not just what's comfortable for me, but what is God saying to us collectively? What is God doing for us corporately? So the city, the region, the territory has to see something different about the people of God. So if you're doing everything the world does, where's the distinction? What do they have to point to? I know this is a little heavy, but I'm trying to get us revived. If we can get revived, we'll deal with all the heaviness out there and get some people set free. But it all begins in God's house. Okay, look with me in Luke 19. This is this probably be the last scripture we may turn to. Luke 19. I remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Here's the point I want to make. When there's no presence in God's house, then we stay unprepared for the harvest. Okay? It's a powerful statement right there. When there's no presence in God's house, then we stay unprepared for the harvest. Okay? So in Luke 19, let me just begin reading in verse number 41. I think it is. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. When he approached Jerusalem, the Bible says he saw the city, and he began to weep over the city. And he said this. He said, if you have known in this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you. How many know we got that going on? And they will surround you on every side. How many know that we got that going on? And they will level you to the ground, you and your children within you. How many know there's a major attack on the younger generations that are growing up? Huh? That's what's going on. And Jesus is saying, I came to you, but you didn't recognize today. And they, and they will level you, you and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And then Jesus leaves that moment, and guess where he goes? He goes right into the church. Verse number 45, and Jesus entered the church, the temple, and he began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves or into a robber's den. Here's my point. Notice that Jesus, first of all, is weeping over a city until the church begins to care like Jesus cares for the city if the city doesn't beat in your heart like there are people that are lost and dying and going to hell if it doesn't beat in your heart then you're not carrying the level of compassion and the ministry and the anointing that Jesus has for the city. He's weeping, watch this now, not because of the sin in the city. He's weeping because his people don't recognize the moment. He's not weeping over the sin because he can handle the sin. <laughs> he can cleanse the sin. 
He's weeping because the church is unaware of who is in their midst. He, the church is unaware that the presence, the monarch, the sovereign monarch of the universe, God and all of his authority wrapped up in humanity called Jesus, moving through the life of what we call the Holy Spirit, living on the inside of his people. And he's saying, I'm weeping over you because you don't recognize how much power you have. You don't recognize what I've called you to do. You don't recognize because the city is in chaos and you're the only one with the answer to fix it. He's weeping. Could it be that the city is missing it because the church is missing it? Maybe the way you fix the condition of the city is you have to first fix the condition of the church. Because as soon as Jesus gets through weeping over the city, the first place he goes is to the church. He goes to the church, he says, the reason why the city's in chaos, and he starts overturning money's changers' tables. He says, because you've taken something that was meant to be a place of power a place where the judgments of God could be released to his people, then they take it out to a dark world. You have turned it into a den of thieves. Can I tell you something? The church has too many thieves. There's too many thieves in the house of God, and Jesus is weeping because he cannot fix the world until he gets his church fixed. And can I, can't, I just came to help somebody. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to walk up into your little house, and he's going to kick over everything in your house that is not lined up with the word of God. And that's what I came here to tell us today. God is moving in this house, and he's coming to your house, and he said, I'm going to fix everything out there if you will let me get everything fixed up in here. Come on, push on somebody and tell them, revive us again. I thought it was interesting that when Jesus got through weeping over the, the hurting and the, and, and, and the bound people of the city, he didn't go to the governor's house. He didn't go to Pilate's house. He didn't go to big tech media. He didn't go to any, 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 any president or congress or governor's place. He went to his place. He went to his house because he understood that everything out there can be fixed if this house gets it right. Tell somebody, revive us again. Come on, tell them, revive us again. If I can put it into my own vernacular, Jesus is saying, if the church will just get it right, if the church would just put down their agenda. Come on, this is what Ezekiel was saying. The problem in Ezekiel's day, nobody was taking up the agenda of God. Everybody had their own agenda. And they began to walk according to the drumbeats of the world. Now you got a nation in chaos. If I can just say it in my own vernacular, Jesus gets through looking over the city and he's, he's hurting. He's, he's hurting. He feels for it. He says, I know how to fix this. I got to get into the church. I got to get right back into my people's house. And I got to turn over some things that ain't right. And when he begins to do that, because how many know if, if the church will be on watch, then the church can fix what's out there. If the city is ever going to understand its time, then the church has to know its place. The church just... And I know we're not just a church singular in a, in, a, in a metal building. That's just part of it. But the church, the corporate gathering, the ecclesia, 
the called out ones. Whenever we gather, there should be a climate of miracles, signs and wonders. I thought about even when Pastor Tina and the worship team was leading us in a few of those songs, and I just thought about, man, what if we were just electrified? I thought about when Pastor Vanessa was up here and talking, and, and she was saying, you, you can't praise on your feelings. What if the church just got past their own feelings? What if you did have a bad day yesterday? I'm just trying to tell you, I promise you, I pro unless the Lord comes back or you die, that sun is going to rise in the east over there. That sun's going to come up again. In other words, there's going to be a new day, and its mercies are going to be filled in that new day. Huh? Huh? So that, that tells me that the church has no excuse never not to gather together and throw some electricity in the air. I don't know about you, but I want to make demons nervous. I want to make principalities and powers scared. I want them to regret the day that I open up my eyes and I say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm not intimidated by the works of the devil. I've got power over the devil. I'm not afraid of the devil. Greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. So the church has to be a place where the climate, where the word of God is counterculture. The word has to be counterculture because when you walk out of here, you're going to go into a world for the next six days, and that world has a culture, and that world has a message. That world has a drumbeat, and you're going to be inundated. You're going to be indoctrinated in the surrounding of those voices so that when you come back in here, you got to hear something that's contrary to what you've been hearing out there because everything you hear out there is not the truth. <laughs> Amen. So he said, I, I'm weeping for you because it's the church that should be teaching. Watch it. I'm about to, I'm going to close here. I ain't through, but I'm going to close. I feel like some of y'all getting tired. The church is the teacher. The world is the student. He said, go and teach people. How many know we should be teaching the world how to raise our families? We should be teaching our city what marriage looks like. We should be teaching. When, when, when the world looks at 51% of divorces, they ought to look at to the church and say, boy, it ain't that percentage in there. It's like people are hanging together in there. People are working it out in there. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. I'm not saying it's always going to be comfortable. You can't have anything that's worth any kind of value that you ain't got to fight it through. Huh? I guarantee you, I, Wayne and Nancy fixing to celebrate 57 years, 57, 57 years in August. I guarantee you, it ain't without a couple pot knots and some scars and some holes. I guarantee you, they had to work through, fight through, and live through, caring about, about we're about to celebrate 37 years. I guarantee you, all you got to do is look at the limp of my life. I guarantee you, we ain't always had it together. But at the end of the day, we kept pushing through. We kept gutting it out, and we kept believing God. So when the world is going crazy, they don't know how to handle their marriage, just look at somebody that knows how to keep it together. Woo. I get amazed. I get amazed, I'm about to take a line here, but I get amazed at people who are struggling in their marriage relationships start hooking up with people who've been divorced three or four times. How are they going to help you stay married? Well, you know what I do? I just leave them. There's other fish in the sea. Really? 
That's the best advice you can give. Sadly enough, it's not even in the world. It's in the church. Go ahead, leave them. No, why don't you fight it through? At least all the buried people will be saying amen right now. The world. The world is our student. When the world don't know how to handle finances, e economics, look at the church. Look at us. We can teach you. The church does more with less than the world does with more. There ain't no big millionaires giving into this ministry. We don't have big millionaires just dropping $100,000 checks in here. You know what builds this ministry? It's the everyday faithful single parent mom, the everyday faithful single parent dad, the everyday working couple that just says, you know what, well, we're going to believe God. But we have learned how to be a good steward over what we have. And now we're just creating blessings and blessings and blessings through a handful of people. Ain't nobody giving it. The government ain't writing us no check. Don't happen. So the world can look at us and we say, hey, we can teach you how to handle your money. Hey, we can teach you how to handle racism. Where y'all at? We can teach you how to handle that son or that daughter that's struggling with homosexuality. We don't kick them out because they got sin in their life. We love them. We love them. We embrace them and we help nurture the love of God in their life. We're not, make, we're not making excuses for sin no more than I make excuses for a man that's cheating on his wife. You cheating on your wife and I found out about it, I'm going to call you out. I promise you I'll call you out. Don't tell me I'm your pastor and don't want me to address what's going on in your life that ain't right. Don't call me pastor if you don't want me to be a pastor. <laughs> we'll teach our young men how to be grown men. We'll teach our young ladies how to be ladies. We'll teach them. The world. Is waiting. On a revived church. Could it be that we're in a moment. This hinge. I just call it a hinge of history. We're standing in a moment. This will be on the screen if you're taking notes. I didn't put a whole lot of stuff up there today. But. God is not trying to get us to reclaim the culture, but to reclaim the church. The culture will be automatic if the church is right. Martin Luther, that great reformer of the 16th century, he said, if I be valiant along the battle line, except at the point where Satan presses his attack, I am not valiant for Christ. You've got to be valiant at the point of attack. The world needs the church. Let me break it down. The world needs you, and it needs me. I got like five powerful points of prophetic insights on Ezekiel's river. I don't think we're going to get there today. Somebody says, I feel the breakthrough. Because that river began to flow out of Ezekiel's vision. And it was flowing through the temple. And the further it got, the deeper it became. 
until everything that that river began to touch, life began to appear. Oh, I'm just trying to say God's going to bring some dead things back to life again. Things that you thought was over, God's about to resurrect. Things that you thought was put on the back shelf for another day, God is about to breathe life into that. Amen? Come on, if you believe that, stand to your feet real quick. Come on, just stand to your feet. we got to quit. Hallelujah. 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 Man, I just feel this today. I, time really got away from me, but I've, I've got something I think would really throw us over the top. Next Sunday will probably be that last Sunday to do that. I'll just do that with what this river, prophetically, what this river can do in the life of a church. But before I do that, come on, won't you just lift your hands all over the building and just make it a personal prayer if you would. Just say, God, I need to be revived. Come on, we can stand a little bit more of God. Just say, God, would you begin to work in my heart? Work in my life. Come on, I don't hear you. Just begin to open up your mouth and begin to pray. We're believing God for something supernatural. You can't get this through an app. You can't get this through social media. You got to get this directly from the throne room of God. Come on, there's a prophetic people that are rising. That has a voice to hear and to know and understand what it is that the Lord is saying in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, lift. Lift your voice. Come on. Come on. I need to hear some praying. Don't let it be a house of thieves, but let it be a house of prayer where the power of God can begin to move among his people again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Lord, I'm asking here you to we do are, it. Oh God. Do it, Lord. Yes, Lord, here I am. Come on, sing, here I am. Here I am to worship. Give us a pure heart. 
that have been working so hard. Greg, we're, I'm, we'll just do communion next Sunday, okay? Thank you guys for everything. And if we got communion elements passed out, you can just send the buckets down. We'll put them back in there. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do that next Sunday. I don't want to miss a moment right here because I feel something. I feel something in the realm of the spirit that's just, that's just pressing into people's hearts. And it's crazy because why would God pick July? This is our vacation month. This is where everybody... And we got a whole folks, a whole lot of folks that are on vacation, but God is touching people's hearts. And so I want to be sensitive to that. And I just feel like you're just in this place today along with me. I, I'm in the line here. And I'm just saying, God, I want to be revived in my heart. I want to be revived in my spirit. I don't want to be revived in my head. The Bible says with the heart, man believes. Man believes with the heart, not with your head. And I want to be revived. And you're in this place today and say, you know what, God, I need another touch. I need to be revived again. I need the presence of God to touch me again. I need to feel the anointing of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need to feel the evidence of God's glory. And I believe over the next five, six minutes, God's going to release something over your life. So if you're out there today, maybe it's one or maybe it's all of us. I know it's me. But I want you to just begin to make your way down to the aisle and begin to lift your hands and just begin to worship while they begin to sing. We're going to release the anointing. Come on. Come on, just begin to move. Come on, just begin to move. Move out of your seat. Don't, don't wait. Don't take long. Just begin to move now while it's on us. Move now. Move now. Move now. the same. My marriage will never be the same. My business, my purpose, my anointing will never be the same. God is about to revive me for greater works. 
God's reviving me to do great things. I've been sent with a purpose. I have a mission. I have an assignment. Oh, God. We cry out. We cry out today. We cry out today. Breathe on us again. Breathe on us again today, Holy Spirit. Renew us. Refresh us. Revive us. I don't want to be dead. I don't want to be cold. I don't want to be indifferent. sensitive to this because the Bible says wherever that river went it brought healing one translation says it brought restoration and I believe you're standing up in here today just in faith believing for God to heal some places in your life everybody in this room today I've done this enough to know I don't, I don't have to have stats. I've been around enough people all my life in ministry to know that everybody's got broken places. Places where they've been hurt. Places where they need to be healed. Places where they've been offended and they carried that. You've carried that offense and now it's taken what the Bible calls a root of bitterness. And it's lodged inside of you. Now every time something is said, it triggers that root of bitterness and it throws you into another dimension. It's not that you don't love God. It's just that you're not where he needs you to be right now. now. But that, he, that, that river is flowing today. And it's bringing healing. I'm telling you, the river is about to touch that offense. It's about to touch that broken place in your marriage. Some of you right now are believing God for your children. You're, you're standing in the gap for your children because you know they're lost. You know that if they were to die today, if God would return, heaven would not be their home. They are as lost as anybody can be. But you know what? That river is flowing today. That river is flowing to the prodigal son. It's flowing, flowing through the prodigal daughter. I have claimed this verse my entire life ever since I was old enough to know it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. God is a household God. He's a household salvation God. I'm not going to lose my children to the world. Come on. I'm not going to lose them to the world, not as long as God's got me on this planet. We're fighting, we're contending, but there's, there, there's, there's broken places. And it's hurt. And it's cut deep. It's deep. It's deep-seated. I, I won't be sensitive to this because I, I believe in all kind of help. I believe in therapists. I believe in counselors. And we got a lot of them in here. I, I, I take... Whatever help we can get. I don't just believe in a five-step program. Give me a 25-step program. I'll take whatever help is out there. 
Oh, I just wanted, I just wanted to keep stepping. I, I, I thank God for all the help, but I want to tell you something. Therapy, counseling, self-help steps. There are some places that those, those agencies and those people can never get to. Because it's not born of the flesh, it's born of the spirit. And God is working now to get into those deep recesses that therapy can't talk you out of it, counseling can't move you from it, but the power of Jesus can touch it. It can touch it. It can move into those places. Wounds. And some of us don't even realize the wounds that we carry. And we carry it. And we think we're doing okay on the outer the outer part, probably we are, but inward, we feel it, and today there's healing flowing, come on, one more time, lift your hands, come on, just let the river of God flow, you don't have to make it happen, you don't have to work it, you could just let it flow, it's flowing, it's flowing, I heard the Lord say, I'm going to deal with the spirit of suicide, suicide has come through your thoughts, not today. Not today. God's working past the thoughts. God's working past the thoughts. Some of you felt like giving up on your marriage. Not today. Not today. Uh-uh, uh-uh. God's moving. God's moving. I don't know. Man, I, I, I keep hearing. There, there's generational curses that has tried to attach itself to you. But I'm hearing the Lord say today, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it because my river is flowing and it's bringing life. And it's bringing healing. Come on, one more time. We're going to let it flow. In the name of Jesus, God, touch those places. Hallelujah. God, touch those places. Release healing. Release healing to those recesses of their hearts. Those inner chambers of their spirit today. God, I cry out today for deliverance. Come on, you're going to be free today. You're going to be set free today. I bind the powers of hell right now in the name of Jesus. I bind every attack and I bind every word of the enemy. I bind every wrong voice that has come against you in the name of Jesus. I break its grip and I break its power off of your life now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I declare that healing is flowing. Lord, you said that by your stripes, we are the healed of the Lord. We're not just healed physically, but we're healed emotionally. We're healed spiritually. So Father, today we thank you that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is flowing. Lord, I break the thoughts of suicide. I break the generational curses. I break the attachment. I break the lineage that's been passed down through the generations. I break its power. I break its influence in the name of Jesus. Some of y'all have had cancer passed down through the genealogies of your family. Lord, I break the curse of cancer. I break the curse of cancer. You will not die of cancer, but you will live and declare the works of God in the name of Jesus. We break its grip. We break its flow now in the name, in the name that's above every other name, in the name that's more powerful than any other name. Lord, we break it today in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, Jesus is the breakthrough. Jesus is the healer. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is who we need. Jesus is what we're after today. God, manifest your presence. Let the river of God manifest in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I feel it. Come on, give me about another minute. Just come on, press in. Press in. Press in. It can happen today. It can happen in your life today. Hey. 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 
revived. Come on, just lift your hands and triumph today. Lord, let revival spirit, let revival hearts come alive today in the name of Jesus. Lord, open up the heavens. We declare today we're being revived for greater works. Lord, baptize us now in the name of Jesus. Baptize us with the power. Let the river baptize us. Waters to swim in. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, if you believe that, won't you just put your hands together and bless the Lord. Come on, just bless the Lord like you know he can do it. Come on, bless him like you know he can turn it. He can turn it. He can turn it. Amen. I'm telling you, it's turning. I want to say that again. It's turning. It's turning. I'm going to go back to what Vanessa, it has nothing to do with the way you feel right now. I don't live by my feelings, I live by faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Because what I can see can distract me. What I see can make me believe something different. But I believe God. At the end of the day, I believe the word of God. If God said he, if God says I'm going to come through, then I'm going to come through. If God said, I'm going to be healed, then I'm going to be healed. If God said, I'm going to give you a breakthrough, I'm going to give you a breakthrough. Come on, amen. And I believe the church is going to be revived. Watch this. Our greatest days are not behind us. They're in front of us. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray over you and then we'll be dismissed. But on your way out today, listen, you got to find somebody. you got to find somebody to encourage them. you just got to say, you know what? God is reviving us together. He's reviving us together to do something great and powerful together. Amen. Father, this morning we thank you. Lord, there's no presence like your presence. There's no feeling like the way we feel you. Nothing can satisfy. Nothing can be a substitute. Nothing can become what you are to me like you are to me everything else is secondary Lord you're primary you're the keeper of my soul you rule and reign in the affairs of my life God I pray over your people today as we get ready to go into a dark world start our journeys tomorrow and we go into a sin-infested world and the odds are already stacked against us but Lord we're not going alone and we're not going on our own merit but we're taking 
the greater one with us. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, I pray over people today, Lord, that the struggles, the places of their hearts where there's challenges and they're wrestling it through. Lord, they will not give in. They will not grow weary in well-doing. But they will stand the test of time. They will endure until the breakthrough comes. Lord, I thank you today for what you're doing in people's lives. And Lord, I thank you that the church is being revived. Will you not revive us again? Let that be our prayer today. Revive us again, oh God. We thank you and I give you praise. I speak blessing and increase over every home and over every life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen, amen and amen. Come on, love on somebody.